SMS SAFM now on 41391. Late Night Conversations with Patricia Anduli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight. 18 minutes after 10 on SAFM leading the conversation. We are the Late Night Conversation uh, talking all things that are social. And I know it's been a trend throughout this week since uh, the, the, the the big hoo-ha around the retail group clicks um, that came out from the advertising that was seen to be skewed towards, um, you know, discriminating against uh, 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 the black race. And this has been a talking point throughout, but I feel that we need to also understand what young people, what their thoughts are and what can be done when it comes to race and inequality in South Africa. A-teamers, let's uh, continue to interact. I'd love to hear from you. I'll remind you again that number 891 That's where you can call or WhatsApp on 614 Remember that we put up a poll on Twitter. I'd like to invite to welcome my esteemed guests. And I know, it, it, I think all of us are quite nervous about today's topic because we understand that it's one of those big elephants in the room that we have not really tackled well. Dr. Kira Aaron, who is an urban sociologist and senior researcher at the, at the Urban Futures Center at the Durban University of Technology. Thank you very much for joining us, uh, Dr. Aaron. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good to be here today. And uh, your co-A-team guest is uh, Dr. Catherine Pillay, who's a senior lecturer in sociology at the University of Durban. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Pillay. Thank you, Patricia, and a very good evening to you and the listeners, and thank you so much for having us. It's a great pleasure. We also have a young person who's representing the youth of South Africa, Sislema Vondla, who is uh, the owner of a clothing apparel brand called Khrutman Clothing, and also a media practitioner. Sisle, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. And once again, great show that you're having there. Thank you so much for inviting us. Excellent. Now, I'd like to start off with uh, perhaps Dr. Aaron, because Dr. Aaron, you you and Dr. Pillay wrote an article saying what young people have to say about race and inequality in South Africa. Dr. Aaron, maybe tell us what sparked the, the, the starting this particular um, article and just writing it. Yes, sure. Uh, Catherine and myself were interested to know what young people we're thinking about ideas of race, uh, racialism, non-racialism, and racism. And we wanted to explore how they were making sense of these very complicated and also very distressing experiences that are happening in their country. You know, adults often, and I'm guilty of this a bit myself, we, we're very hopeful for young people that they will solve the social issues that adults are battling to, to address. Um, in their own society. But often we hope that of them, but we don't take the time to listen to how they are trying to make sense of their world and some of the things that are troubling them and also some of the, the ways they might see that we might try something different. Now, Dr. Pillay, when you started this article, what sort of research did you have to go into? Um, so we had to look at... Um, the education landscape firstly, um, and we chose specifically to look at the young people in schools that have some kind of symbolic status. So um, in most cases, uh, the schools that we looked at, 
They, the, the children had very real material privileges through the infrastructure and resources. So um, the schools were very loosely, we call them ex-model C schools and private schools. Uh, and they, although they represent a very small percentage of the schooling landscape, they significantly shape ideas of what good schooling is in our country. And uh, these are the kinds of uh, children that will go on to hold positions of power in business and government and make these very important decisions for society. Um, and so we looked at all of these uh, aspects and this kind of context before we embarked on the research. Now, I've got a comment here on my uh, <laughs> a comment on my uh, SMS line, and that comes from Muna in Cape Town. And Muna says, hi, Patricia. Unfortunately, I have to switch off my radio early tonight. I normally listen until 12 uh, midnight, but ish, this click story is becoming tiresome, really. So, Dr. Aaron, I am aware that your particular research and uh, before writing this article, happened way before the clicks uh, advertising um, issue. Mm. So at that time, when you went uh, through your research with everything that you found, do you feel that the South African youth are at a place where they understand the the, the, the inequalities that we are faced with currently in South Africa and where they emanate from? I think it's a very important question. Um, I don't have a definitive answer. I think what Catherine and I found that was interesting is that many of the young people that we spoke to in schools, they were aware of inequality. They had some sense of how apartheid and colonialism had shaped them, although not always um, sort of very detailed. What they were... They didn't want inequality in their future. They could see it as something that was destructive. It was something that they didn't wish to continue. They wanted a more equal society. I think the dilemma that all of us have to think about is that for many of these young people, what does it mean to want a more equal society and not really know how to address issues of power and privilege? So particularly in trying to understand how society can be structured, how racism can be a structural effect. It's not just an interpersonal one. So these young people are much better. Um, and to be honest, that is something that we should be hopeful for. They, they don't want inequality. They don't want racism. They're prepared to do some of the hard work of what does that mean in interpersonal relationships, including even challenging people within their own families who hold racist stereotypes. But where they struggle um, is to see what would it mean to actually give up some of the privileges that I hold, whether those are white privilege or class-based privileges, in order for our society to become more equal on a material basis. I'd like to bring you in here, Sisle. You're an entrepreneur and a media practitioner and a young person in South Africa. When you take a look at where we are right now, do you feel as a young person and with the young people that you interact with that enough is being done to ensure that there is enough education around the issue of race and, equi- and inequality and also that it's, it's not just enough awareness, but there's also some sort of way of including everyone so that we minimize the inequality. Okay, thank you. Firstly, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, Firstly, I would like to say that uh, it takes very little effort for a child to learn hate. 
That's the first thing that I would say. And why am I saying that? I'm, I would say I'm a mid-90s kid, but if I would see a, a kid like myself who was born in the mid-90s, what we were told in school when we were learning about history of our country and whatsoever, those things, if you look at those kids who were born in the mid-90s, we know what apartheid means. And even now, when you talk about the education system, and when you talk about the, that's the first thing, that's the education system in the working environment, we see those things as they're still happening. Because sometimes you, you, ask yourself, you ask yourself, we were not there in the 80s, but whenever these things are happening, or if you see a kid like yourself, maybe he's white or he's an Indian or whatsoever, what, whatever color, even though we are supposed to be a rainbow nation because we're supposed to not even describe each other and say this is this one is black, this is white and whatsoever, but there is white is uh, there is white privilege. White privilege is there. And also then for someone to say uh, opportunities that are given to certain blacks or to black people must be removed or must be but what about the four hundred years that black people have been robbed? Not that I'm on the other side of black people. But if we're talking about, about equality and the issues of racism, these things are still there. And there's a lot of uh, 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 work that needs to be done. I'm talking from a side of a young person. Coming mm-hmm. to the issue of being a young person, being in the entrepreneurial space, yes, we many people voted for certain uh, different political parties. But what I've seen is that it seems as if you need to be uh, 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 under a certain political party in order for you. It's like you need to have a, 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 I don't know whether it's a membership card or whatsoever, because if you knock on those doors and you don't have that membership card, trust me, my brother, or trust me, my sister, you won't get the opportunity. It's like you need to be somehow connected. You can have the qualifications. You run, you can even go to their courses. They will say these are the courses, business courses that we're doing. And those courses are free. You go there and you attend, you waste your time. I mean, I say I waste my time. I wasted my time. I attended some of those uh, programs, but they never helped me. So I need to keep pushing. Even the company that I have is called Rotman Clothing Brand. Somehow, I don't even want to show my face that this is was created by Sichem Vundla or was created by Sichem Vundla because I don't want people to stigmatize or just to attach and say, oh, this is a black person doing this brand. There are white people who are buying Fortman clothing brand from the free state in, in Limpopo. Those people are just buying because the brand is there. But I wonder if I can come out and say, this the person has created this brand. But what these guys are saying, those uh, professors who are there in the studio or who are listening to us right now, there is still a lot of work that still needs to be done in order for us as young people also to play our part. What I need to do now as a young person, I have to learn. I have to make sure that I go to school so that I can sharpen my skills. I sharpen my talent. But I still need to know there's a lot that still needs to be done for young people to, 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 to feel that, you know what, yes, there is apartheid. Apartheid is, is there or there's racial issues that you still need to work against. But, yeah. There's a lot that still needs to be done, Patricia. You know, Sisley, you mentioned a couple of things here, and I'd like you to take us uh, through them. And you, you kept on mentioning, and we're talking 
inequality and uh, and race issues in our country and we are aware that our country is not just um, made up of black and white there's there's indian there's colored and of late there's also been a hashtag colored lives matter why is it and and i ask this to you because you mentioned why is it that when we speak or young people speak of inequality and race in south africa it's usually divided between black and white and other races are not looked into is it because young people have grouped all other races which are non-white as black or is it because there's just we are marginalizing against other races um i I'm not sure what makes other races not to be out there because they only come after maybe saying, because as you're saying, there's a, there's a hashtag that said uh, 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 colored people or colored uh, that they matter. Not that they don't matter, but what confuses us is that they only come out after maybe these things have happened. Or whatever, because this thing they only happen to not that they only happen to to maybe to only to black people, but people who have uh, uh, been affected hugely or mostly is black people in those days, and even now people are still in the forefront trying to fight racial uh, uh, racial issues. It's still those black people, not that there are no maybe Indian young people or. Uh, uh, colored people and whatsoever. But I think there were leaders. We need equality even in leadership. Let's say we talk about SRCs in the high institutions. We need, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be from a certain political party. I believe that you as our adults who are listening right now, there are leaders that can come out of our communities, not from political parties, but because you're doing good in your community. But what I've seen, it seems as if you're going to be targeted if you're a young person, but you're working for justice or you're working as maybe for an NPO. They can say, okay, this young person, this one is very dedicated, this one can work. Then where does he get the resources to do these things? Then they can try and lob you into their own political part to come to say, you need to come to this side. And now it seems as if we are taken as this clever black young person it's like you are not like them and when they say you are not like them it says it gives you a certain mentality about where you come from as a black person and you're like okay that means yes Mm, you know i'm I'm hearing you and i'd like to welcome our our a-teamers to also come in on and weigh in on the conversation we want to know what young people have to say about race and inequality in South Africa. Dr. Aaron and Dr. Pillay have done a study and they will be taking us intensely through it because I know they looked at some tensions within schools. I think the education system is one that uh, should be ironing out these particular issues. But we'd love to hear from them and I'd love to hear from you, A-teamers. Let me remind you of the number that you can dial to weigh in on this conversation. It's 011-714-4045. The alternative number is 0891-104207. You can WhatsApp on 0614-104107. Let me go to the voice notes. It seems that there are a number of non-whites who seek validation from whites before they express their views. The fact that there's a campaign for Black Lives Matter is because they are systematic 
uh, issues that are not addressed, which are oppressing the black man, black man being the black human being. There is no systematic uh, measures that are oppressing the white man. So this uh, useless campaign of All Lives Matter is really a, a, a counterproductive measure that that is really an intention of, of racist to defend their racism. I'm submitting this just to register a point that this thing of All Lives Matter is really is, is nonsense. Uh, good evening, Patricia, and to your guest as well. Uh, just about two questions for your guest. Um, do racist people ever realize that racism is their problem, not not the ones that are receiving on the receiving end of, of racism? That's the first question. The second question is, um, do racist people have any business in telling those who receive or are victims of racism as to how to respond or react to racism? Those are just two simple questions. Um, I hope you understand me. This is Klaba from the Eastern Cape. Thank you. We've got two comments here. Um, uh, let's start with the one that Abba just uh, left to us. Uh, I don't know, Dr. Pillay, would you like to take the first question? Uh, sorry, Patricia, I was cut off for a while there, so I couldn't hear okay, maybe um, the, those questions. All right, Dr. Aaron, did you get the questions? Um, I got the last question uh, where the caller asked um, whether racist people ever realize it's their problem to deal with racism. mm. mm. I didn't get the the full first question, unfortunately. So he's asking, so Patricia, if yeah. you want to summarize it for us, we could maybe respond. So what what the the, the A team was saying is, do racist people realize that it's their problem, and why is it that racist people want to um, stipulate or dictate how those that they're inflicting the racism on are reacting? Mm, mm. Well, I think. Um, Look, do racist people ever realize that it's their problem uh, would really depend on the person. I think, not I think, I have seen people who have gone through a shift in the way they think. Um, they have had some realization in their complicity to racism and how their ideas have been shaped in these very problematic and offensive ways. But um, that's maybe not true for everyone. What I do want to say just in response to those questions is that, of course, you know, part of trying to address racism is trying to address people who hold racist views. That is important. Where it gets more tricky is trying to understand how and why people keep getting socialized into racist ways of viewing the world. Because when you do that, you need to ask the bigger questions around what kind of structures and systems in society keep supporting these ideas. Because those individuals are often um, think that they're thinking in so-called normal ways, in unproblematic ways, because actually they get a lot of benefits or nobody is necessarily pointing out why that way of thinking is offensive. And so partly the study that Catherine and I were trying to do 
is to say, what are the obstacles here? You know, why is racism so stubborn? And what is happening in the schools? Like, how are young people making sense of this? And what are schools trying to do to help them make sense of this in ways they could see some real shifts away from racism in South Africa? I'm so glad that, Doctor, you mentioned of the school system. How can the school system then make sure that we are shifting? And and maybe let me come to you here, Dr. Pillay. With your research that you have done, do you feel that our school system is all-inclusive and allowing um, for young people to think beyond, yes, understand where we are um, in terms of the racial differences and the inequalities and, and also understand where we come from because that forms part of our heritage. It's a history we cannot erase, but also make sure that we merge them together. Um, you know, Patricia, I think our education system has a long way to go in terms of uh, educating our students and uh, making them more aware of the structural inequalities that we still face. And even though I, I won't use the term rainbow nation a few times uh, tonight, uh, but we shouldn't let that distract us from the fact that we are a society that is still dealing with a legacy of separate development. I mean, 26 years after the democratic transition, and I agree with Zishle that it's been 400 years in the making, these kinds of inequalities with colonialism and apartheid. Um, and we're still dealing with issues of systemic racism. And uh, we are one of the most unequal societies in the world. And I don't think that's fully addressed in our schools at the moment. And so what we were hoping happens as a result of our research is that it starts these conversations for educators and students and parents in South Africa around the importance of working towards social justice and equity and addressing issues of power and privilege in South Africa. You know, and so we're hoping to start these uh, yeah, classroom conversations. You know, I, I remember going to, to school, even from primary school time, and I remember th- there was always at the beginning of the year a little questionnaire where we get asked, are you black, white, Indian, colored, or other? And that used to make me feel uncomfortable. I know I'm black, but why is there a national survey that makes all our children, and I don't know if it still happens now, but I know that this happened to me, and it always made me ask myself a question, why is this happening? And does it still happen in schools today that we need the demographics? Because I know some legal documents ask me what race group I'm part of. Yeah, so for statistical reasons, uh, those questions are still asked on university entrance forms as well. Um, you could be asked that in schools. Um, and uh, legally, it's part of our measures of redress, right? Racial categories. So even though the Population uh, Registration Act it no longer exists, which was, a, which was an apartheid era legislation to categorize people according to racism and give them benefits accordingly, that no longer exists, but the racial categories still do exist for purposes of redress, right? Uh, but uh, so that allows organizations and universities to still continue uh, and perpetuate that kind of system. And what uh, the intentions are for the use of finding out the race of uh, people is uh, may, may not be made known to you. Um, and just to say, just to add to what Kira was saying earlier, uh, that racism is also not just about the personal views, right? So it's entrenched in the structure and culture of organizations and even schools for that matter. So it's not just about dealing with uh, individuals, uh, the racist individuals, while it is good for us to call them out, uh, the larger issues that allow for these individuals to act in this way still exist. So firing or suspending individuals or merely having anti-racist training 
to uh, you know to change individuals will never be enough to deal with the systemic issues in society. We are talking um, what young people have to say about race and inequality, and uh, this is based on a research, an article that was issued um, way before the clicks issue. <laughs> so we've been having these issues, and uh, it's an article by Dr. Aaron and Dr. Pillay. I'd like to go to my poll here on Twitter. We've asked you, is the issue of race and inequality being dealt with adequately by the South African government? Currently, 89.3% say no, while 10.7% say yes. And uh, I've got some messages here from Setu at Defaced Picasso. And Setu says, how are black people always misplaced in conversations that are about them, especially the elderly who are still traumatized from apartheid and can't believe Julius dares to disrupt whiteness? Tulima Donsela is really uh, discussing an SAFM should never give her airtime again. And then uh, Dibasha at uh, Easy Just G says South African government is made up of apologists who can't expect uh, we can't expect such people to deal with burning issues. Let me go to A-teamers on the line. I've got Sakila in Durban. Sakila, very good evening to you. Hey, how are you guys? We're okay. How are you, Sakile? Oh, no, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I think, I think black people have done enough with regards to race relations in the country. We don't have to do anything now. What do you We've mean enough? enough? What does enough mean? We've done enough. We have, we have, we have, we have made it our point to, to welcome other races here in this country. Even though people were treating us not well. We've done enough. Enough. We even um, had a president that was black that welcomed everyone, that spoke about reconciliation and everything. What more should we do now? What more should we do? I think now the thing is there should be legislation now. You know, racism must cost your pocket. You must lose your job. You must lose your business because we cannot like continue like this. It cannot happen. Now it has to be like our responsibility now to do something about it. What should we do? Because it's not like black people are being racist to other races. It's, it's, it's the pain that is inflicted on, on us. You know? I hear you, Sakile. Thank you so very much for your comment. Sure, sure. Uh, Sisle, you are a young person. You've heard what Sakila says. Sakila is again saying, well, not again, let me not use that word, but he's saying that black people have done enough in this country. What is your thought as a a young person? Sakila, as as there's a point Sakila has has just raised, he's saying that uh, I I think it's enough about talking. Because in our country, I believe, Sister Tisha, that we do have policies in place. But the issue is implementation. I think so. That's what I believe. Because their policies are so nice, they're up there. But when they have to be implemented, they are not implemented properly. So what he's saying, I think there must be something written down that says, if you are you, you, you are a racist, you must lose your asset or you there's a certain amount of money that, that you must pay or you must be blacklisted to certain things or to certain uh, uh, privileges as a person, because it seems as if like you are dehumanizing other people. Mm. Black people have been here before. This is their land too. As much as the others, they are also claiming that they, this is their home. No one is, is against that, but can you just live as normal human beings? 
because we are young people, but there are things that we see, okay, this thing that's been happening long way back in our parents' lives, and also it's also happening in our time. Let and now we yeah. cannot retaliate or maybe do like our parents used to do when they were fighting for the struggle at the time. They are saying times have changed. If they are saying we must fight using our education, we are educated, but there are no jobs. You try to open a business, you go there, you go to a bank, you want to, you want it. Okay, I think you can't we've lost one of our guests. Um, Sisle, just uh, hold that thought. Let's uh, see who we've lost. I think we've lost Dr. Pile. Um, Benzito will try and get her back on the line. Dr. Erin, are you still on the line? Yes, I'm still here. Excellent. Sisle, let's move to uh, Ngonde, who's uh, one of our A-teamers in PE. Ngonde, good evening. Evening, Patricia. I'll get right to it. I know you well. <laughs> Patricia, Patricia, one quotation, and I won't explain it, but it doesn't make sense. Uh, Winston Churchill once said, capitalism spreads God's blessing unequally, and communism spreads misery equally. You can make what you will of that quotation. Now, racism and in, in, inequality. Patricia, we will discuss this until the chickens come home to roost. Because America got independence of the six. They still got racism now. We only got independence of freedom 95, 94. And we're still complaining. An example before I drop. My niece is nine years old. She was, I mean, she's driving now. She was nine in a school that was established in 1948. I went there, Patricia, for her assessment in the, I was staying in front of it. The lady, when I asked her, could you please organize me a cup of water? Because the water was hot. And you know, you won't believe what she told me. You know, she told me, um, you can get it in the toilet. Eh? water in the toilet. I didn't want to react, otherwise I was ballistic, but then I didn't want to tarnish my niece's schooling career, right? Anyway, I asked one lady um, who was cleaner to assist me with water in the kitchen, not in the toilet. The days of apartheid are over. But Patricia, it will still be in the minds of the people, unless, of course, the place can improve their livelihood. For example, if you live in the poor suburb, that plenty cloth, where the visit is my friend, you will find that I won't say that what are not racist there, but they are less racist, right? Because there is not a question of race, it's a question of class when income levels are risen. But here, for the sake of time, good evening. Thank you very much, Ngonde. Let me go to Nkosnati. Nkosnati, thank you very much for holding so patiently. Uh, good evening, uh, some PC and, and your guests there. Uh, look, the government, uh, I mean, the, the, the whole racism issue uh, began when, 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 when white people came and formed some kind of auto, or, or, uh, legislative authority or a government uh, where they exclude, they, they excluded. Uh, other people, the majority of, of, of their people in the case of South Africa. And, and, and there they amassed 
world, uh, and they con- they they continued to exclude those uh, majority of people and treated them as second class citizens. And when we attained freedom in 1994, it was only political freedom. And the ANC, or whichever party uh, would have been voted into power, uh, would not have been able to 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 to, to exclude uh, white people because they, they they had to run the country. They had to try and bring back. Uh, black people into the fold, into the thick of things. And now, those people, their racist or racism attitude was suppressed by events, not that they they, they willingly uh, abandon racism, because racists are very cunning. They, 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 They are very inventive. They come with all sorts of of nonsensical stories. Uh, when racist issues uh, are raised, but when you raise uh, hate speech or alleged hate speech by Malema or Mkutama, even on social media, you see them uh, uh, willingly participate condemning uh, 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 that hate speech. But when it's a white person, they 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 they, they, they come with all sorts of excuses, and some even uh, uh, glorify apartheid, a system which. Uh, 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 dehumanized, uh, degraded black people. So uh, it, 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 it's a big problem, and the government cannot fix it except to implement the existing laws because they, 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 the, the laws are there, uh, especially the Human Rights Commission should, because I believe this was made a crime, racism was made a crime, people should be charged at least uh, it should be suppressed uh, rather than be allowed to, to, to continue like this because it, it will cause violence. Thank you so very much, Nkosnati. Thank you. SMS SAFM now on 41391. Tweet at SFM Radio and at Patricia N. Dooley. We are still talking uh, social conversations, what young people have to say about race and inequality in South Africa. Our A-team guests are Dr. Kira Aaron and uh, Dr. Catherine Pillay, alongside with Sisle Mavundla. Before I let our guests come in, I've got a tweet here that comes from at Zileng B. Um, and uh, Zileng says, you know, Sis Patricia, this issue is very sensitive. The apartheid era got us where it hurts the most, our brain, hence psychology. I believe that education for the up-and-coming generation could be used as a tool to tackle inequality or racism in our country. Let me start with Dr. Pillay. Dr. Pillay, with your research, I do know that there are some tensions that you cited when you did your research and wrote your article. Could you please tell us a bit about them? Yeah, so we say we found out while uh, young people was, uh, were very aware of inequality and racism and um, discrimination and they wanted that eradicated from their future. Um, like Kieran mentioned earlier, they were unable to see how uh, they would need to give up some of their own individual privileges or their own social privileges to realize this dream of uh, a more unequal society. Um, so that was one of the main tensions that uh, we uh, discovered in this research. And and uh, maybe uh, Dr. Aaron, come in and tell us how then uh, do we uh, move uh, from these tensions, especially at the school level? 
Um, yeah, Patricia, we were, what we wanted to also research is just what are some of the things that are upholding this blockage? Um, you know, the, the sort of the ability to enter into discussions around white privilege and class privilege as well for young people where they feel a sense of excitement almost, a sense of, yes, it's uncomfortable, but this uncomfortability is good, it's productive. This is for the right reasons. This is moving for change and change for hopefully better for all, rather than retreating back into a sort of defense where people feel like, you know, if you get your finger pointed at you to say you're racist, um, often people shut down and close down. So we wanted to look to see what were some of the things that were creating this blockage and as we've written in the article, I think some of the ideals in schools like individualism, meritocracy, where, you know, these young people are constantly told that, you know, the more work you put in, the bigger the reward, etc. It focuses too much on the individual and it doesn't enable them to see how individuals are shaped by their context, by their history and by social relations. And we were hoping that that's where the conversation could start. How can we help these young people actually feel more embedded in the world so that they can tackle these complicated questions? Sitla, do you feel as a young person you are able to find ways to breach inequality within your own peers? Um, I, I don't find it. It's not easy. It's not easy at all, so I, I think that there's still a lot that still needs to be done. As a young person, I don't think that in my own capacity as a that there's much that I can do. But I think in my own space, if I'm able to, 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 to be this loving person, if I'm able to be this young person who is vibrant in what he does or in whatever space, my influence, my language needs to be that if you're preaching love, you need to be love yourself. Love the next person who's there. If you, in the working environment where I've worked, I've worked in numerous radio stations, in different radio stations, or in media platforms, different media platforms. There you'd find that there are different uh, races there, it's either black or white or whatsoever. But you could see how they look at you but I would tell I would, I would tell one of my peers and say, you know what, I don't see you as white or as an Indian. I see you as a person. That's not how I was raised. Hence, I said at first, it takes a little effort to for 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 a young child to 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 to, to have that thing in 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 their mind. It takes a, a very little effort for a child to learn to hate. So that that means. If they say charity begins at home, that means whatever that has been taught at our homes, it is the one that will reflect when you go on the outside. So mm-hmm. it is very important for you guys as parents to teach us well at home. Then even the education system too, there must be a shift there. There are things that need to be taught very well so that we know where we come from. If we know where we come from, we'll have a clear picture of where we want to go. And Definitely. of Rainbow Nation, mm-hmm. there is Rainbow If we want to, we are not there. We are not there yet. 
if we want to talk about rainbow nation we're not there as yet now as we close off uh dr pele and i, I like what sita has said in terms of even at home yes there's a responsibility on government to implement uh, regulations on racism and inequality there's a responsibility on the education system to transform to such a way that it minimizes inequality but at home when you did your research did you find that children are not being taught to to integrate with each other from a young age uh, so yes, part of our research did find that while uh, the students themselves were able to think very critically about the relationships they held with uh, their friends, their peers of other races, and they refused to um, cheat other people based on racial stereotypes, that and were challenging those uh, parental and generational uh, racism at home, uh, we realized that these students were being... Um, ingrained with these uh, kinds of stereotypes at, in, in their home. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these, their parents would, be, would have been products of apartheid. Uh, and this was ingrained in all races at that time to look at people through the lens of race uh, and to treat each other um, using those particular stereotypes. But these young people, or the majority of these young people, were questioning these kinds of uh, learnings in their own homes. As we close off, uh, I'd like to just give uh, all of you 30 seconds to just give us your parting shots. We'll start with you, Dr. Aaron. Well, thank you very much, Patricia. I think as you've said and all the callers and my fellow speakers tonight, there is still much work to be done. Um, And I think that it's important for us to think about how we could do that work in a whole range of ways. And perhaps just to reiterate and the idea of love, actually, because to be honest, I think anti-racism work has to do with love. Thank you very much, Dr. Aaron, for joining us this evening. And for you, Dr. Pillay, your parting shots. Thanks, Patricia. I think we've heard a lot being said about the government um, and the uh, practical the laws that are in place to assist with the redress. Uh, but I also want to say that we hear the terms diversity, inclusion, transformation a lot when we're speaking about the workplace. And I think that some people think that transformation by numbers is important, but I think there's no investment in real transformation. And by that I mean uh, without showing just performative acts of diversity, but actually creating a workplace environment that is inclusive. Um, So there needs to be a commitment to making um, substantial organizational um, change culturally and the character of the organization. So it's important for organizations to identify those kinds of gaps that perpetuate uh, inequity and the obstacles to inclusion uh, in their organizations. Thank you so very much, Dr. Pillay. I wish we had more time. It's been such a great pleasure. And uh, as we close off, Sisle Mavundla, give us your parting shot as a young person in 30 seconds. Hmm. I would say 40 years. It's a very long time, 26 years after minority rule ended. So still a long way to go. But let's thrive. Let's go to school. Let's learn. Let's love each other. Let's love each other as blacks. Let's love each other as a rainbow nation so that we can have a great future. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Sisle Mavundla. Uh, I wish we had more time. I see there's a lot of messages on uh, SMS and on WhatsApp, but unfortunately we can't get through to them because of time. Let's uh, move on uh, straight to Zolega Kodash and her beautiful voice for the final news bulletin.